Hey, thank you, Andy and Rachel. And it uh, sets up beautifully what Mike's going to be speaking to us about. Let's pray and let's get into God's Word and let's hear what He has to say to us individually this morning. I thank you, our Lord God, for your precious Word. Thank you that it changes lives, Lord God, through the work of your Holy Spirit. And just pray for your servant Mike now as he brings his message to us. Father, that we might open our spiritual ears and hear what it is that you have to say to us today. And we might not close ourselves up, Father, but open ourselves up to the Spirit and that he might change us, Lord God, that we might become more like you uh, today. So we just thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for the power that there is in this word and uh, that it is there, good instruction for us, Father. So we just thank you and just pray for Mike now as he brings it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, John. It's a real joy, is it not, to be able to bear testimony to how God's Spirit is at work in the hearts of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It's always an encouragement to hear uh, the testimony of God's people. As you are by now well aware, we're just backtracking a little bit in our journey through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, if you can turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're just going to read the first three, uh, not three, the first seven verses. 1 Peter chapter 3 and from verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewellery or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear that anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, the subheading in my Bible, as I look at the start of 1 Peter chapter 3, simply says wives and husbands. Now, I don't know uh, who the sub-editors are uh, who split up the Bible and come up with these headings, but if he was getting paid for this, he's, um, he's not had to work very hard for his pay. Wives and husbands is a, is a fairly basic description of what we have here. I really like what uh, Peter says halfway through verse 7 in what we just read. Uh, Peter's talking to husbands and he's referring to their wives when he says this. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Your translation might say co-heirs. I really think that it gives us a sense of what, where Peter's heading when we consider those words. Before we start, there's one thing that, as a leadership, we want to make abundantly clear. No man, woman or child should be required to live under the fear of physical, sexual or emotional abuse. When Peter talks about submission here in 1 Peter, he does not have submission at mind at any cost. Neither is the leadership, do we. When Peter talks about submission to rulers and authorities, when he talks about submission in the workplace when he talks about submission in our home life, he's not saying submission at any cost. 
because we know this would be inconsistent with what the rest of scriptures teach us. If our employer asks us to do things that we know God would be displeased with, that would dishonour our God, we know we should not be doing that. We cannot submit in those circumstances. What about when the Bible teaches us to love each other, to be kind, to be gentle, to be patient? When the Bible says we should love love others as we love ourselves, even that we should treat others as we would want to be treated. We do not believe anyone ought to be expected to live under the fear of physical violence of any kind. And anyone who has experienced the constant verbal tirade of abuse that some in our community have to endure know that indeed this can have a devastating effect on the human condition. I mean, whoever coined that phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones but names will never harm me, have not lived in a circumstance where they've been verbally abused for so much of their life. If this describes you, we encourage you to talk to someone you trust and not to think as someone, some have tragically been advised, sadly even by those in the church, to just be quiet and put up with it. We encourage you to seek help, to go to the authorities, to accept wise counsel and advice from those people that you trust, to come and talk to the leadership that we might be able to journey with you. Rather, this instruction of Peter in these seven verses is what might be called to the ordinary majority. To those of us with a marriage that we want to be the best possible, who recognise that every relationship has its ups and downs. For those who realise that good marriages require hard work at times, that these relationships call for forgiveness and commitment if they are to flourish. Even more, for those of us as Christians... They are for those who want their marriage to be all that God desires it to be. Peter's words are also for those of us who are doing it tough. Our marriage may not be where we thought it would be. Perhaps we've grown up in a home where godly marriage was not modelled. And you recognise that your marriage is indeed not where it, where it should be, where it could be. Something's missing Perhaps you've just lost touch or the busyness of this life means that you just found yourself growing apart. The family unit and marriage in particular is such a central, powerful foundation in the Christian's witness to the world that when it fractures, so too does the powerful testimony of God's grace before this world that we live in. Now, friends, we... We know that we live in a broken world and that a marriage is made up of two individuals in the midst of their own struggles, hurts, sin and selfishness. And when we consider these things, it's no wonder that so many marriages fail. And again, I want to reiterate that as a leadership, we know there are those amongst us who have experienced what this is like who have spouses who are not believers or are best nominal in their faith. We want you to know that we love you as a community of God's people. We grieve over where you find yourselves. We welcome you as Jesus would. Where we can pray and encourage you in your own season of life, we would love to be able to do so. Please come and talk to one of the pastors or elders that we might be able to share 
uh, or share with other Christians that you trust that as a community, a fellowship of God's people, we might be able to bear each other's burdens. But Peter also speaks to those of you who are not married but who are supposing that one day that's going to happen. Because if as a young person you're able to think through God's design for you in marriage, you'll end up with a head start that many of us did not have. As we go through these seven verses this morning, we'll look at two actions Peter asked the wives to consider, two things for the husband to commit to and some reality checks to us as a couple to consider as we work through our marriage. First six verses here, uh, Peter talks to the wives and in verses one and two, likewise wives, be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. These two verses, Peter talks about the power of transformation and where that comes from. No person was ever truly changed through manipulation coercion, bullying or nagging. True, lasting, meaningful change comes when we are convinced in our own hearts and minds that a particular course of action is what we want to do, is what will be good for us. Now, it's not uncommon, particularly when we enter a marriage, uh, to think that we have the power to change our spouse. They've got a few faults, but that's all right. Once we get married... I'll be able to sort that out. To be able to conform them into the image of who we think they should be or how they should act. And it's true that we are able to use certain, certain techniques to modify behaviour, even in our marriage. I mean, we do it by withholding things at times. We do it by lavishing gifts at times. We use it through the words we say and even sometimes the way we look. We're able to modify behaviour in our spouse up to a point. But unless there is a total buy-in, it will not be lasting change. And it could well end up leading in just bitterness and disillusionment in the end. But ladies, Peter points out the power of being used by God to be the instrument of change in the life of your husband through your conduct. A Christian wife can and is used by God to challenge, bless grow and yes even convict through their conversations through their conduct their husbands as their own walk with the Lord and this is true for both believing and non-believing husbands alike talk to the pastors to the elders to to the leaders that you respect in church life and almost without exception they will say that their spouse is a key part of who they are The spouse has such a key role to play in supporting them, in helping them to grow, in keeping them grounded, in helping to point them towards Jesus when they start to get ahead of themselves. It's not that a wife doesn't say what she thinks, but the heart behind it is what is significant. Of course our wives tell us what what they really think about an issue but it's the way they're able to approach it that has a, has a real impact. Now, there's no time limit. I, I can't give you a guarantee that every wife who lives as God wants them to be will see in the heart of their husband what they long for, what they long for. 
And yet there are so many who have. There are so many women here who could testify to the fact that uh, God has graciously uh, done a great work in their marriage through their own uh, commitment to the Lord. But what I can say, what I can promise you is that anyone who chooses to walk this path will not walk it alone. Their God will be with them. Now sometimes sin, hardness of heart and outright rebellion seems to win the day. Yet a godly wife so often sees incredible change through her own willingness to submit first and foremost to God, then to her husband. You know, submission is not a dirty word. In fact, it shows a strength of character and faith that Jesus himself displayed in walking the road to the cross. All of us are called to submit to God in Scripture, even to submit to each other out of love for Christ. Submission is not a dirty word. It's not a call to subjugation. It's a call to walk the footsteps of the Master. Without his willing submission to the Father's will, we would all of us be lost. I wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't be here today. Well, from verses 3 to 6, Peter asked wives to consider where true beauty resides. Now, we understand that Peter's not saying that makeup, that nice clothes or jewellery is an evil thing and should be avoided. Now, I have uh, females in, our ha- in my house and for some reason they, they seem to think it's great to go down the shops together um, and get their nails done together. It doesn't, I don't really get it myself, but it's important to them. And there's nothing wrong with that. I once heard a, a, a quote by a prominent um, preacher and I can't quite remember who it was so I'm reluctant to say but he said if your barn needs painting then you paint it. I think it might have been Chuck Swindle but I'm not absolutely sure so I don't want to dob him in for that. You see if the colour of your house is looking old and tired it's okay, you can paint it, you can spruce it up. If makeup helps, that's great, that's okay. There's no problem with that. In fact, to be honest, I would strongly advise everyone to wear a good deodorant and to clean their teeth every day for the sake of those who walk around them, who work with them, who go to school with them, whatever. But ladies, if you believe the lie the media portrays that true beauty comes from what you wear or how pretty you are, then at some point you're going to become shallow, bitter and eventually lonely because someday those things will leave you. And in our hearts we understand Peter's words here, do we not? There are plenty of beautiful people in the world who are full of themselves and their own self-importance but on the inside, to, to coin a phrase of Jesus, they're full of dead men's bones. They have no substance. Think of those people that you connect with, that you respect and admire, the ones who have invested in your lives, who you listen to and are encouraged by their character, their faith and their strength. Those things that attract you to these people are what comes from the inside. This is what Peter points out is the pattern of the godly wife. 
And then in verse 5, he goes on to say the power behind this woman is her unshakable faith, her absolute hope in her God. Too often, outward appearance becomes the guide for how we think a wife is traveling, how tidy the house is, how well she can juggle working outside the house with her responsibilities in the home. Are her children always well behaved? What sort of host is she? And on top of all this, does she always look like she's walked out of a magazine? Too often that's the focus. That's how we try and judge wives, mums. But ladies, if your life revolves around that of your husband and your children, as Rachel mentioned, there's something out of, there's something out of kilter. Where God is preeminent in your life, you'll find these other relationships will continue to grow. So the question is why? Ultimately, ladies, why is it important? Why is it important to live as Peter describes? For me, there is a short phrase towards the end of verse 4 that is one of the most poignant uh, phrases in this entire epistle. And it says this. He's talking about imperishable beauty imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious in God's sight it is very precious do you realise that your willing submission and cultivation of, of the beauty that comes from within is precious no, my Bible says very precious in God's sight now I have a confession to make we men can be stubborn We can be inconsiderate. We can be unworthy of the wife God has blessed us with. Sometimes our own self-importance means that it's hard for you to be the wife God calls you to be. Yet here is a glimpse of the heart of your God as he witnesses the outworking of your faith in your home. Ladies, you can bring joy to the heart of God Might that be sufficient reason to seek to implement Peter's words? Any wonder such a wife is so radically different from that which the world portrays as important. Rachel's testimony was a wonderful one, was it not? A powerful testimony before a husband who's not a believer. And yet for the wives that have believing husbands, the testimony is no less powerful. It's no less meaningful. It has no less impact. Now, we come on to verse 6, and I'm not aware that my wife has ever called me Lord. And to be frank, I would... To be frank, if she did, I'd be wondering what was going on. But what I can say is that her willingness in her heart of heart to live as God calls her to means that I can say unashamedly, she's not here, it wouldn't matter whether she was here or not. I can honestly say before my God uh, that I love her more now today than I did 30 years ago when we got married. And that's not because of me, that's because of her living out her life in front of me. Her faith and her love for the Lord. Now, husbands, I have a word of warning. 
If you have ever used this passage or the parallel ones, perhaps in Colossians or Ephesians, to point out to your wife how she should act, then I would suggest when you go home, maybe an apology is in order. At the start of chapter 3 here, who is these verses addressed to? They're addressed to your wives. Peter does not write these six verses so that I as a husband can use them to put my wife in her place, to belittle or seek to bend her will to mine. Not so I can, through misusing the Bible, seek to control my wife, her thinking or behaviour. It's amazing how it's always easier to read God's word and apply it in someone else's situation than to have it really affect our own. Instead, perhaps you should go home committing yourself to the words of verse 7. Let's read them together. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That term, likewise, or in the same way, as your translation may have it, harks back again to this issue of submission. As we are called to submit to authorities as we're called to submit in the workplace, as uh, women are asked to submit to their husbands, likewise, husbands are called to submit. Submit their own desires and wants for the greater good, foregoing your aspirations for another, considering the needs of your wife above your own, sacrificing your time, energy and resources for the benefit of the one that you chose to spend your life with. Over and above everything else, you as a Christian husband are asked to submit to the Lord in the care and concern, the understanding of your wife. And Peter asks two things of us as husbands as we consider how submission to the Lord might work out in our marriage. First of all, as as Andy, Andy spoke to, he asks us to live in an understanding or considerate way with our wives. Now men, that means by definition that we need to know our wives. We need to be sensitive to their needs. It means that when they're tired, we are not demanding. When they're fearful, we are near to them. When they are sad or feeling alone, we are there to help lift them up. When they are burdened, we look to lighten their load. When they share their inner thoughts, we do not dismiss them as simply being unimportant or irrational. But instead, we seek to understand and cherish the privilege we have of sharing in their lives. Do I always do these things? Do I do all this stuff that I've just described? No, I don't. At times when I'm most needed, I'm elsewhere, or at least my mind is. My wife might be pouring out her heart and I'm thinking about myself, what I want to do. I'm thinking about what's got to be done tomorrow. When does the footy game start? I mean, I've got things on my plate as well. I'm under pressure too. People and things are stretching me also. Men, we need to be honest. We do not always, maybe for some of us, it could be said we rarely treat our wives in an understanding, considerate way. To do this requires submission to God's will and a willingness to be self-sacrificial in our thinking. 
So the question is, how do we change this around? Well, Peter says we should show honour to our wives as the weaker vessel. Man, if you wanted to make a difference in the direction your marriage is headed or simply want to grow and improve what you already have, recognise your wife for what she is. Just on a purely physical basis, generally speaking, she's not as strong as you are. Yet on an emotion level, she's likely to have much more depth than you and will therefore need more time to think things through. I mean, perhaps you, are, you appreciate what it's like in our home sometimes. Perhaps we've got a difference of opinion um, or my wife typically will come home and she'll share what's going on in school, perhaps with some of the staff or another teacher. Or it might be simply what's going on in her classroom with the kids. And she's pouring out her heart and I'm just thinking, well, I've got a solution for that. This is, what, this is what you should do. And I just want to tell her what she should do. In actual fact, all she wants me to do often is just listen to her. Just say, I understand and I'll pray. Because she has a maturity level that allows her to sort a lot of this stuff out with her own God. She doesn't need my somehow super wisdom to get her out of trouble. But she wants to, to know that I'm there and I'm listening. I, I, I liken it back to boys in the playground. I know it was a long time ago since I've been at school, but when I was at school, you had a disagreement with one of your mates, you had a bit of a wrestle, maybe a punch-on, and, and afterwards everything's all good again. Now, I'm not advocating violence in that playground or anything like that. But I know from having um, girls in my home that uh, often they think differently. They want to be able to talk stuff through and, and that kind of thing whereas the boys would be happy just to say a few words to have a wrestle and sort it out. The point is that we need to honour our wives as individuals who are different to us, though no less valuable. We need to honour them as being worthy of our love, commitment, time, faithfulness and our attention. Why? Because, as I mentioned earlier, they are heirs, your Bible might say joint heirs, co-heirs, They are heirs with you of the grace of life. In God's eyes, two have become one flesh. Men, love your wives, understand and honour them as you would yourself and watch what God might produce in your relationship. Now, just in case we've been hard of hearing, Peter's final words in verse 7 are sheeted home to us that your prayers may not be hindered. They're sobering words, men. That your prayers would not be hindered. Because Peter isn't saying if you're a bad husband, God's not going to hear your words. Because we know the Bible tells us that God does hear the honest honest prayers of the rebellious, of sinners, of criminals, of thieves. If you see yourself as a bad husband, be assured that your heavenly Father hears your prayers. He hears you when you call out to him. How do I know? Because I know no one is beyond the grace, the mercy, the reach of our God. That's why I'm here today. So in what sense are our prayers hindered? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here, I believe, Peter points to the hypocritical, self-righteous heart that seeks God's favour while ignoring the command to love and honour his wife. 
It's not dissimilar to the reason God rejected the sacrifices and the festival celebrations of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Many of the prophets prophesied against them. In Isaiah chapter 1, and this is God speaking through Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 15, God says, When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. When you offer many prayers, God says, I am not listening. Why? Because they expected God's blessing while rejecting his call to righteousness, while rejecting his call to care for the people, to love the people, to shepherd the people. They rejected these basic needs of the, of the people of Israel, the leaders did. And God said, I'm not hearing your prayers. Your sacrifices mean nothing to, them, to, to me, says God. Men, should we expect God's favour while ignoring God's call to submit to him in this area of our lives? Assuming God's approval while not treating our wives as he desires us to. Now, ladies, can I, as I mentioned earlier to the men, can I encourage you not to use these words as a means of trying to force change upon your husband? Instead, as a couple, my prayer is that you head home today, you're asking God in your own heart how you can be able to be all in your relationship that he wants you to be and trust him to be the agent of change in your spouse where required. I know that's a hard road. It's not always easy to be able to do that. But for both the Christian husband and wife, the reality is this. To the extent that Peter's words are not our goal, where our desire is not to be the spouse we are called to be, our relationship with God must be affected. There are no exceptions. Where we live in disobedience to God's call... At some point, our relationship with God is affected. And that's true for us as husbands and wives too. Now, as we move on, I mentioned earlier some reality checks for us as married couples to consider. I mean, I don't know whether you ever come to God's Word and you read it and, and you start to think, well, what does that mean for me? On a bigger picture, what does that mean for perhaps the church community? What does that mean for my family? And as we come to to read about husbands and wives what does it mean for you as a couple if you aren't living as God wants you to what does it mean to a couple if in turn you are seeking to live as God wants you to well as I was considering this I was, I was struck with this thought I wonder what kind of home our sons and daughters are growing up in Do they see modelled for them the kind of relationship that they themselves should strive for? Mums, wives, mums, are your daughters learning through your example the kind of wives that indeed they could be? How to conduct themselves in a godly marriage and how in turn to look for a man who will, by God's grace, treat them as you would like them to be treated? Even if your daughter is older and married, your role in offering appropriate counsel and leading by example does not end. Now, notice I've included the words appropriate counsel. Uh, When when our, our daughters are adults and they have families of themselves, we need to be careful how we 
talk and, and the counsel that we offer, but it doesn't change the fact that we have an opportunity to continue to build into their lives. Mums, are your sons growing to appreciate the value and joy of finding a godly wife? For those of us who are dads, are your daughters, through the way you conduct your home life, learning of what they can expect of their potential future husband? Are they learning through your example of the kind of partner they should consider? Or is your conduct such that their standards have been lowered as to what they ought to expect? I hope and pray that my daughters will have the highest of expectations of their future husbands or their potential future husbands and not to accept second best before the Lord. Dads, do your sons know the high standing, the honour, the respect you have for your wife through your example and thus do they have a, a role model in which to follow? As a couple, we have the responsibility, the privilege and joy to pass on a valuable legacy to our children. Your marriage is not simply all about you. There is more at stake. There are others that look on and they learn from you either the good or bad practices of life. Now, I'm not saying your children will grow up to be just like you. To start with, they don't want to be just like us. They are individuals. They're all different and their futures will be different in God's eyes. But there are still valuable life lessons, examples we can pass on to them to help prepare them for the life that is to come. Just as we conclude now, men, how might you make it easier for your wife to heed God's word as they leave here today? Ladies, how might you make it easier for your husbands to live out God's design? Perhaps it's time to stop looking at your past, at your partner's failures, shortcomings or disappointments and focus on your responsibilities before God. Those that he has laid out for you, that you might see what by his grace he might have in store. There is a tremendous amount of freedom in allowing God's spirit to do what he's eminently good at, transforming and changing people's lives. I don't have to try and be that. Every one of us ought to be striving for the best in our marriages. Anything less is settling for something below what God desires to bless us with. Yet the truth is that sometimes you put your heart and soul into a relationship and it does not seem to be reciprocated. If this is the case for you, There is one who desires to share your burden, to help carry your load. It is Jesus. There is certainly no fear of your relationship with him falling short of what you desire. So I ask you, who doesn't want to have a better marriage? Take note of what Peter is asking of us. Church, when is it too late? What if this is an ideal we feel we cannot reach? What if the example of our children has fallen short? Perhaps we feel we've laid waste to that which God has created. The two are no longer one flesh. Where do we start? 
I only have one answer. The only one that gives us any assurance. The one who specialises in cases beyond repair. Who gives grace to the humble, strength to the weary, hope to the helpless and forgiveness for what we might consider unforgivable. That is Jesus Christ. There's no other way to find restoration for the soul and strength to pick ourselves up and face a new day with new hope. Because in God's economy, it's never too late. Perhaps there have been mistakes, perhaps even bad ones, that may seem irreparable to you. Yet in Christ, there is always something to look forward to. God asks us to submit. There's that word again. God asks us to, us to submit to him. To ask him to change your life, your attitude and your heart. And by his grace and through his power, as his spirit works among us, we will see God do mighty things. Let's close in prayer. Our Father God, we want to thank you for the joy, for the privilege it is to be uh, your children, uh, to be a Christian husband To be a Christian wife is a precious thing and yet we recognise as in all areas of our lives we need your help, your grace, your wisdom, your strength. We need patience beyond ourselves and we need to be able to show forgiveness in these most important relationships. Lord God, uh, be with us as we go about our week. May we consider how we may be um, the instrument of change through how we live our life, through the things we say and do that we might honour you in this most important relationship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.